The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 17th chapter. And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, o Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In life, uh, in this fallen world, we will all have to deal with frustrations. Things don't go according to plan. Criminals commit crimes. Illness and disease and death take their toll. Businesses fail. I mean, really, that can be so easily the default position of everything in our life that it just sort of ends in failure or chaos. Uh, Overcoming uh, hardship can be, well, the hard thing to do. I think our texts today speak of this inescapable fact of life, of having to deal with frustration, and offer some pretty powerful words, not just of advice, but really proscriptions for living in the midst of difficulty. A few weeks ago, we looked at Jeremiah 32, and you may recall that in that text, Jeremiah carefully purchases a piece of land, and he goes through an elaborate process to make sure the deed is is seen in the presence of witnesses, that it's preserved in an earthenware vessel, And this was a piece of land that was probably already under the capture of the Babylonian Empire. And he is effectively saying with the purchase of this land, hey, one day this land is going to be restored. God is not finished with us yet. Uh, I'm going to come back. I'm going to have the deed for this land, and it's going to be my land in the future. Likewise, in this passage, Jeremiah is sending words of encouragement. This time he's sending word to those who have already been captured uh, and sent off into exile into Babylon. So he is still in Jerusalem. He's writing to those in Babylon. I'm not clear if uh, the exile, uh, there was exile going on before the destruction of uh, Jerusalem. Uh, So there was a time period there, but Jeremiah is also not written in chronological order. So today is Jeremiah 29. That was Jeremiah 32. But essentially what he is saying to these exiles is, hey, you know, hang in there, okay? You've got to pick up the pieces of your lives, and and you've even got to put down roots, even in Babylon. Listen to what he says. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. 
Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. I mean, he's thinking ahead here. He's thinking generationally, right? In other words, persist. Continue to live. Okay, yes, you've been taken into exile. Yes, things look bleak, but don't give up. Continue to marry. Continue to have children. And, and you know, that's probably the most poignant part of, of all of what he is saying, this encouragement to get married and have children. This has always been, uh, always was a hallmark of hope in the Bible, <laughs> the idea that you would have children, that children are a blessing from the Lord, and the more children, the more you are blessed. To be unable to have children was definitely a reason for mourning. You rarely hear in the Bible, for example, what we so often hear uh, in our own day, oh, I can't bring children into this world. That would have been impossible for an Israelite to imagine or to say, except maybe in the circumstance of having been taken into exile. You know, there they might have thought to themselves, I can't bring children into this world. We have no hope. Our, you know, the covenant is not going to be fulfilled. Uh, the, the, the land has been destroyed. I'm never going to go back. It's into that context that Jeremiah says, no, 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 continue. Have children. Get married. Think generationally. God will restore you. Well, what is our excuse? Uh, you know, we live in at least pretty good times, you know, materially speaking, if, if nothing else. Uh, we enjoy everything from, you know, indoor plumbing uh, to Novocaine. Uh, war uh, is not on our doorstep, really has never been. Uh, we're so rich that we have time to waste on something called social media. You know, we can just scroll and scroll and scroll, see what other people are up to these days. Cars drive us places, you know, and, and, and the places we can't get by car, well, we have planes for that. The Internet can teach us just about anything. I mean, if you want to learn how to cook, I don't know, squash casserole, there's, there's at least 50 recipes out there, and someone on YouTube walking you through each step, I'm, I'm certain of it. We live in an era of boutique delicacies, where even the masses can eat as kings once feasted. But these times, I am told so often, are so dire that we can't even have children? Are we serious right now? How hopeless have we become? You know, imagine if we ever face a real threat, you know, like invasion of a horrible conquering army, and, and the prospect of being exiled en masse to Babylon. You know, Starbucks takes more than five minutes to get our drink just right. We, we frown and complain. Well, imagine a demonic nation state taking you over and telling you if you don't bow down to their false god, they're going to kill your firstborn. So yes, these Judeans, I mean, they had a lot of very serious frustrations to deal with. And what does Jeremiah say? Keep marrying. Keep having families. Have children. And by the way, pray for the nation in which you find yourselves. He says, its welfare will be your welfare. You know, there were other empires out there. You know, the empire war game had not come to an end just with the, the Babylonians. So you don't really want the Babylonians to be invaded because 
you're, they're prisoners of war, and then the other people might not have any use for you at all. So now you actually want the people who took you over to do well. How, how, how contrary must have that been to their thinking? And yet that's exactly what he says. And so to our own young people, I would say, get married, have children, get rid of this, this negativity of, oh, I can't bring children into this world. There is no such a perfect time to have children. And I don't know that Christians are yet exiles in our own land, uh, though some of the more uh, pessimistic pollsters out there would say that probably less than 10% of Americans really f- have a fully formed Christian worldview okay, and all that, it, all that it contains, even though many more Americans would call themselves Christian. But if we are to ever become exiles in our own land, cast out pariahs due to theological commitments we are unwilling to break, so be it. We remember what Jeremiah said. We're going to build houses. We're going to plant gardens. We're going to have children. And then we're going to wait for this future where God's going to do something amazing. Eventually, you know, I think if we follow that advice, we'll simply outpopulate the hopeless. And that's what uh, often happened historically. Think about the Israelites in Egypt, right? That's why they uh, sent in the midwives to kill the children. There's too many of them, you know. Well, speaking of pariahs, in our gospel lesson, uh, Jesus finds himself in very frustrating and trying times. Uh, It's no accident that Luke mentions where he is. He's on this kind of borderland of Galilee and Samaria, and this is a region that had kind of been plagued with historical difficulties. Now, Galilee is to the north of Samaria. Samaria is kind of a buffer area between Judea and then uh, Galilee. And Judea was resettled after the Babylonian exile by people who rebuilt the temple, and they really were, were very dedicated to the law of God. That's who Jesus often encounters in his ministry and the, the Galileans were also Jews. Uh, they, uh, they were sort of thought of as like hicks by the Judeans. They, they, had, they talked in a funny accent. They, they weren't highly respected. They're like second-class citizens. The Samaritans, they were essentially Assyrians. Uh, they, they had lost all of their Hebrew roots, which is why, you know, in our Gospels, the Samaritans are thought of so lowly. Um, these Galileans, these Samaritans, they didn't really like one another. And, uh, you know, so this was a mutual feeling. And in fact, really the only time that the Galileans and the Samaritans would spend time together is if they were lepers. You know, and in that situation, well, who else were you going to be friends with? You know, you couldn't hang out with anyone else. You had to, had to you, were, you were cast off out of polite society. You were unclean, so you hung out with other lepers. And so in that moment, all of their historical reasons for getting separated were kind of erased. There's kind of a beauty in that, you know. Uh, one, one could imagine thinking about uh, the ways in which Christians, you know, will might maybe find themselves together uh, with, with common enemies. But these particular lepers, they are hoping that Jesus, as he goes through their area, he'll heal them. And he does. And there are ten of them. And as the text so clearly says, 
They all go about their way. They are told to go see the priest because the priest's job is to uh, give them a once-over and declare them clean, and then they can go back to their life as normal. They can go back to their families. They can go back to their old friends. In fact, you can even maybe imagine them going, oh, good, I don't have to hang out with that bunch of lepers anymore. You know, the day before, they were best buddies. They couldn't live without each other. They were the only community they had, but now it's like, oh, finally, I can go back to my old friends. But, of course, we know that nine carry on, and only one realizes he's been healed, and he, and he comes back. And Luke makes it clear he doesn't just go back and thank Jesus. He prostrates himself before. He falls down at the feet of Jesus and worships him. And Jesus welcomes his worship, and he worships his gratitude. Oh, and by the way, he's a Samaritan. So, in case you missed this, this whole outsider connotation of what's going on. And so this story is about gratitude. And this gratitude should stand out for us as a paramount virtue that all of us should, should seek to imitate, being grateful to God for all that he has done for us. So to be clear, in the midst of frustration, of which we will all deal with on a very regular basis, be as grateful as you can for all of the good things that you can. And I know that sounds like quaint, pithy advice, but really being grateful is much more than a bumper sticker. To truly be grateful, it's like a, a countenance that you project onto the world. It's really your outlook on life. It's how you see the world. Uh, it's not a feeling after something good has happened. It's more like a habit that you develop. It's even, in fact, before it becomes a habit, a discipline. It's something you may need to get in the discipline of being and doing and saying until it eventually does become, in fact, a habit that you just do, that it's just part of who you are without thinking of it. Oh, but pastor, God has not done as much for me as he did for that leper. He has not cured me. He has not healed me of my disease, the, 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 my friend's disease, etc. Indeed, one of the refrains among the skeptical uh, crowd is that this supposedly good and powerful God allows so much suffering to take place. Why doesn't he intervene? If he did, I'd be grateful, but he doesn't, so... How can I be grateful to this God that you say exists? Well, let's be honest. How often are we grateful for bad things that don't happen? Probably not very often. You know why? Because it didn't happen, right? The car wreck that you didn't get into, you're unaware of it because it didn't happen. Uh, I mean, it's not often we get out of our car. Every time we've gotten, arrived at our destination, said, thank you, God, for, for me getting to this destination, although maybe we should. And so by definition, you know, we go around demanding that God show himself and, and save us from calamity. But when he does, we could, by definition, not be aware of it. That's why gratitude must be our way of thinking, our way of being, if we are to be worthy of the name of Christian, then it must define us. Gratitude is far more than, than just a good feeling after a happy event. It's a way of thinking, even in difficult times, perhaps especially in difficult times. One of the commentaries I'll look at from time to time for sermons and whatnot 
it shared this little anecdote from Matthew Henry, who at one point kind of wrote the uh, English language Bible commentary. It's quite large. Uh, but he was robbed of his wallet. And Matthew Henry uh, later wrote in his diary that night all of the things for which he was thankful. First, that he had never been robbed before. Second, that even though they took his wallet, they did not take his life. Third, because even though they took it all, it wasn't very much. And finally, because he was the one who was robbed and not the one who did the robbing. Those were helpful words for me the last couple of weeks as your church property was stolen. Uh, the council knows a few weeks back, someone followed me from a local bank. They saw that I had a backpack, put it in the back seat of my truck, and they thought maybe there was a bundle of cash in there. There wasn't, but there was your church laptop that I'm allowed to use for sermon writing and such in there. And as I stopped to get a donut, I guess that was my main fault, I stopped to get a donut for about two minutes, and in that time, they broke out the back window, took the backpack, and were gone. Frustrations galore, ire, anger, helplessness, all of those feelings, hand-wringing to the max. And yet, I'm not a leper, I'm not a thief, things can be replaced, God provides. It's incumbent upon us to be grateful in all circumstances and to not lose hope that things can be better. That doesn't mean, by the way, that we don't file police reports, uh, because we do, and I did, including video footage of the event and the whole deal. But it does mean that we are to take inventory of our lives, to see how we have been blessed rather than just to see how we have been cursed. And in spite of the circumstances, we are to carry on, to get married, to have children, and to plan for a day when God's glory will be even more apparent, even among sinners like us. Amen.